It's Midday Magazine for Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's Public Safety Advisory Board has two open seats in next month's municipal election. Five people are running. The board is tasked with advising the borough assembly, police chief, and EMS and fire director on matters of public safety. KFSK will be airing conversations with each of the five candidates in the coming days. KFSK's Hannah Floor sat down with Jake Slavin to talk about why he's running for the position. Slavin says he wants to do what he can to help out with the community where he's lived since he was a kid. We moved here in 1989 and I graduated from the high school here in 1997. Bought my first house here in 2002, I believe it was, and uh, started having kids about 14 years ago. I have uh, applied for other boards. Before I started working for the Harbor Department, I uh, I filed for candidacy for the advisory board for the Harbor Department. And uh, for the last year, I, ha- I have served on the board for our Devil Sum Shooters. So tell me why you're interested in serving on the Petersburg Public Safety Board. Well, mainly it's uh, just to do a little bit more for the community. I think that more young families should be involved and interested in in helping out where we can. And and I've got uh, eight nieces and nephews here on the island, along with two of my own kids. And and, uh, I just want to try to make it as safe as possible. Um, Are there any particular projects or safety concerns that you want to address? Yeah, you know, the big thing is uh, having such skinny roads with big ditches is is one of the big concerns of mine something i've been complaining about for a long time is uh the top of xl street there at the baseball field that's always been a concern of mine especially during the uh the little league season there's so much traffic up there and lots of people and and uh and i would really like to see something done about that that's just the beginning So the borough code says that the role of the public safety board is to advise the fire department, the police department, and the assembly on matters of public safety. So I'm curious how you see yourself working with them moving forward. Well, I've always had a good relationship with with the police department and the fire department. I've spoken with uh, both the chief and and, uh, Aaron and Ryan about about these issues here this last week. And... uh, and as far as advice goes, you know, uh, if they want to get new uniforms or, or whatever it is that they want to bring up to the public, and, and we can talk about that kind of thing. But uh, but those guys are professionals in what they do. And and uh, there's not really much advice that I think that, that uh, the public uh, can, can give them. If anything, we should be looking, looking for advice from them. Uh, Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, Not at this time. That was candidate for Public Safety Advisory Board Jake Slavin speaking with KFSK's Hannah Floor. KFSK will be airing conversations with each candidate for Public Safety Advisory Board in the coming days. Past conversations can be found on kfsk.org. Petersburg's municipal election is Tuesday, October 3rd. Early voting is available weekdays from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the municipal building. The salmon season in southeast Alaska is wrapping up. The big takeaway so far? 
The fish were there, but the market wasn't. Chum and pink runs were very strong, but many processors slashed prices and stopped buying the fish early. They blamed a global glut of salmon. Bo Meredith has been working with salmon in Southeast for nearly 25 years, first as a commercial fisherman and then as an area management biologist for the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He's based out of Ketchikan. He spoke with Angela Denning about what state managers have been seeing with this year's salmon runs, starting with king salmon. Another year of mixed returns. Assessment is ongoing. We, right now, out of the 11 monitored Southeast Chinook stocks, six have made goal, three have missed goal, and two are as yet to be determined. And those two to be determined stocks are the are the Taku and Stikine. And that will be finalized here in another couple of weeks when their big long systems and they should like, take their time getting where they're going and then we right throughout September into early October. Okay. And how did sockeyes in Southeast do this year in terms of their returns to the water systems? Generally, it was good. We had a couple stocks in Southern Southeast that did not perform well, Smith sockeye being first and foremost on my mind, but generally the, the Chilkat, Chilkoot, and Haynes, the Taku out of Juneau, and the Stikine River, which are the big driver sockeye systems in the region, did well. They were at or above their preseason forecast, and in all four of them, I should say, met the lower end of their escapement goals. And then you, of course, have some silver lining with readout lake sockeye on the outside of Baranoff that had its highest sockeye return ever. It had liberalized, you know, sport, personal use, subsistence, commercial fishing opportunities, and it still achieved its record escapement. Now, essentially, it seems like the pinks and chum runs, the fish were there, it's just the market wasn't. Well, the chums were a little different, and that's primarily hatchery-driven chums, and the chum return for Southeast in general was exceptionally strong. I think overall we went into the season with the hatchery forecast of 9 million. Um, our chum harvest right now is over 13 million, and that's probably going to creep up as we get fish tickets finalized. And that was the chum return, you know, peaks in, you know, third, fourth week in July. So at that point in the season, the price was maintaining at the 50 and 60 cent level. It's still a big drop from last year's price of 115, but those fish still had value early on in the season when the majority of the chum returns came back. I think the price ended up dropping on August 3rd or 4th. And again, you're you're past the peak for those summer chum returns. The pinks really start ramping up, you know, that third, fourth week in July. And at the time when the chums are starting to ramp down. But both of them overall ended up extremely strong throughout the region. And then moving on to cohos. I mean, we're in September. They're still running. But what can you tell us about them? Coho indicators look really good. We've had, you know, extended fishing time of District 1 of District 11. District 11 is targeting the primarily top two coho run. The power troll CPUE for coho on the outside waters is the highest it's ever been, I believe. It's certainly well above the 20-year average. And you're going to see at some point today a, a troll extension for coho through the end of the month, which, you know, typically happens on a big coho abundance year. But like you said, it's it's early and we don't start enumerating Bobo in the catch can area until early October. The Taku has a pretty good assessment project and the fish wheels and the, and the numbers through the Taku are doing extremely well right now. And I think we'll see continual opportunity 
for the inside gillnet fisheries moving the end of the month, maybe even into early October. And, you know, to be determined on what the final run side will be, but it's, it's looking very good right now. And again, to see the numbers like we're seeing for the full CPV on the outside waters is interesting because it's a little bit late, suggesting the bill run might be a little bit later as well. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking us through uh, species by species. Do you have any other takeaways from this season that you could share? Um, you know, every season is unique and different, and this one was certainly no exception. Bo Meredith is an area management biologist with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. He was speaking with Angela Denning. Employees of the Alaska Public Offices Commission have recommended fines totaling more than $50,000 for people behind the drive to repeal ranked choice voting in Alaska. In a formal report to the commission, the staff alleges that Art Mathias of Anchorage and anti-ranked choice groups he leads, including Alaskans for Honest Elections, violated multiple provisions of Alaska's campaign reporting laws. The report is based on a complaint from the proponents of Alaska's new voting system, which was adopted as ballot measure two in 2020 and deployed for the first time last year. Attorney Scott Kendall, the author of Ballot Measure 2, wrote a complaint in July alleging, among other things, that Matthias illegally funneled campaign contributions through a religious organization to disguise their source and obtain a tax deduction. The APOC staff report concludes Matthias gave the money to a church-affiliated group knowing it would be passed on to Alaskans for honest elections, the group backing the repeal of ranked choice voting. That, the staff says, violates campaign transparency laws. The staff also found multiple instances in which it says the ranked choice voting opponents failed to register to file timely and accurate reports of contributions and to disclose who paid for online videos and other election-related communications. The report says some of the allegations are unfounded. The recommended fines were greatly reduced to reflect that Matthias and his associates are inexperienced with the filing requirements for groups seeking to influence the outcome of elections. The Alaska Public Offices Commission is expected to consider the report when it meets on September 28th. Alaskans for Honest Elections is circulating a petition for a ballot measure to repeal Alaska's open primary and ranked choice voting. KFSK has an open airwaves policy. We encourage the public to express personal opinions, ideas, and creative works, which will be available on our website, kfsk.org, following the scheduled radio broadcast. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KFSK. The following commentary was submitted for broadcast by Assemblymember Dave Kensinger. I'm Dave Kensinger, and I want to talk today about the new hospital project. But first, I want to thank the community for allowing me to serve as your assembly member. When I first heard about the hospital project, I had many questions like many of you had. Do we really need a new hospital? The clinic, which is the main part that I visit, looks great. And how in the world would we pay for an $85 million facility? Phil Hofstetter and the hospital board informed me on both questions. First, they started with a study of the current hospital. The original hospital where long-term care is located dates to the 50s. It is failing rapidly due to poor plumbing 
and rooms that do not meet current standards for care. The new part, which was built in the 80s, was constructed to the more lax codes of that time. The building would not survive a moderate earthquake. Living on a remote island, the last building we want standing in a natural disaster is our hospital. Okay, how do we come up with 85 million? No way can we abound for that amount of money. It is through a bewildering number of grants from the state and the feds. Indeed, if anyone else like Search or Peace Health came to town, they would use the same grants to build. So what happens if we do not proceed with a new hospital? We can probably keep putting Band-Aids on the existing hospital for another five years or more, but we won't run the risk of losing the long-term care portion due to a system's failure or running out of compliance with modern care requirements. If we lose long-term care, we have to send our elders out of our community away from family and friends. We will also lose our destination as a critical access hospital. This is very important as that is required to have large numbers of Coast Guard personnel and Forest Service employees in our town. We're working hard to track a large buoy tender and develop a new harbor and drive down at Scow Bay. This was one of the first questions that was asked to me by the Coast Guard Admiral and Army Corps Commandant when they came to town. Is our community designated as a critical access hospital? So we have a hospital that has never required your tax dollars for operations. They do this by being very careful about providing services that will pay for themselves. So we have a hospital that will, if constructed, will last for another 50 or more years. A hospital that will be cheaper to operate and maintain. A hospital that will enable our elders to remain in the community, all the while not requiring any local tax dollars. Ask all the candidates if they will continue to support construction of a new hospital, whether it is a hospital board member or assembly member running for office. I ask a simple question. Will you support with your vote a new hospital in our community? Thank you. The commentary you've just heard was submitted for broadcast by Assemblymember Dave Kensinger. KFSK encourages the public expression of personal opinions, ideas, and creative works. Views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KFSK. For more information, please call our General Manager, Tom Abbott, at 907-772-3808. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert. (laughs) 